gracious God, we thank you that you are the light of the world and that your light shines in our vulnerability, fear and doubt. Gift us with hope so that we can con continue to trust your word. We want to see you in the beauty of holiness, in sure and certain hope that we will see your goodness in the land of the living. We ask for patience, courage, and faithfulness as we wait on you. Amen. So good morning, everyone. I wonder how many of you are like me. <clears throat> You're out for the evening. You've waited ages for this night. For me personally, I don't have to cook. I'm handed a menu. Whoa, all going well. And uh-oh, then my troubles begin. What to choose? How to choose? Zingy, zesty, fresh, bursting with color and flavor. Something robust, meaty, fishy, something to get your teeth into. The tried and the tested, the safe. Or simply comfort food. Well, that's a bit what I felt like when our vicar, Richard, asked if I'd preach on one of the Psalms. The question was simple. What to choose, but more importantly, how to choose? <clears throat> As the songbook of God's people, the Psalms contain every gamut of human emotion. Joy, life, laughter, love, praise, but then more than a third of them contain something else. They are psalms of anger, despair, doubt, hopelessness, and fear. Time was when this rich menu was written on people's hearts. It was the start of the day in schools, and it was the prayer that everyone said publicly or privately. Time was when people knew the Psalms by heart. My earliest memory of the Psalms is as a young child growing up in India. In my grandmother's house, after the toil of the day and the heat and dust, we used to assemble on her veranda, the community, <clears throat> with the air cool and thick with the scent of jasmine and we would sing and pray and read the Bible. And I think even then, at four, five, six years old, what I liked about the Psalms was that they had a poetic resonance long before I understood the meaning of them. So I looked at my menu for today and I realized I was struggling to choose. What to choose? Rather like people going to a Chinese or Indian restaurant, I thought, I know, I'll point to some numbers. Number 55, 56 or 57, mm, no, number 88, I think, maybe. I seem to have gone for the bittersweet theme. <clears throat> Loaded with longing, plastered with tears, honest, direct, brutal, achingly beautiful, these psalms are restorative in their healing power. They speak the words 
that we dare not. The Psalms speak in such a way as to give us a true perspective of who we are, what our past is. It helps us gauge how far we have traveled and helps us to recognize our blessings. We remember and we restore in the Psalms. Restore. And we discover. We discover that whatever we're going through, all the dilemmas we face, they're not disconnected from what has happened before. And that the God who saw us through our past troubles and tragedies is present in our current ones. And somehow remembering those things, we take away the brokenness and the wrong assembly of the fragment of the jigsaw pattern of our lives. And we discern in it a proper pattern. So with this remembrance, I finally settled on today's Psalm 27. Because as you heard, it has a bit of everything. What an opening. It's David's statement of faith. The Lord is my light and my salvation. What then do I have to fear? God's primal magisterial gift to all of us. Light. This light seems to shine, pardon the pun, everywhere. Day one of history, God said, let there be light. At Christmas time, the church universal resounds with the sound of John's gospel. In him was light, and the light was the life of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The Hindu festival of Diwali tells the story of light overcoming darkness, good overcoming evil. And as dusk fell on those nights, every home and windowsill, every veranda, every balcony was bedecked in little clay lamps with a cotton wick and a touch of oil. That's all. But little by little, darkness was dispelled and light shone. Quite biblical, really. Scared of the dark at bedtime, I would ask my mum to leave the light on. She always did leave it on, but not without saying, remember, Swap, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. In more recent times, after I had a very scary medical diagnosis, she was the first to say those words differently to me. She said, Swap, God is our strength and our refuge, a very present help in trouble. What have we to fear, even with this? Psalm 46. But here in this Psalm 27, verses 2 and 3 seem to give voice to real fear. <clears throat> David is fearful of attack by the enemy. His real and potential enemies will maim or capture him as they have in the past. They're lurking close by, waiting to harm. Thankfully, many of us have never had any experience of war and hopefully never will in the way that David does. But we are fearful of many other potential things loss of friends or family, loss of health, loss of lifestyle, loss of our jobs, loss of what we were once good at, 
loss of our independence, loss of our identity. And all these things can be as draining and destructive as David's foes. So how do we deal with these situations? Sometimes sheer adrenaline gets you through these emergencies. Like when I forgot the ice creams I had to bring for Sunday school this morning, went back home and I'm sure gave Dennis a heart attack. <laughs> but the liberating aspect of faith is hope and trust in God's guidance. These are the defining elements that make life bearable and they enable us to deal with all these challenges. In his book on the Psalms, Walter Brueggemann says of these verses that it puts before readers two alternatives to life. Fear or faith. Fear and not doubt is cast as the alternative to faith. The two affirmations suggest why the poet chooses faith. Yahweh is light and he dispels the darkness, the one who brings wholeness or salvation. The second image of God is that he is a stronghold, a refuge, a defense. And in spite of all life-threatening opponents, trust is the order of the day. God is worthy of trust. Daily, we're faced with the decision of choosing between living with devastating fear or dwelling by trusting in God. Some of you might know the ecumenical Christian community of Tizi, set up by Brother Roger as a pilgrimage of trust on earth after World War II. His vision was for a place where even after the savagery of war, young people from different sides could come together and live a prayerful and simple life learning to trust. On a visit there last year, I was struck by the way one of the brothers explained trust. He said, trust in God does not always give us answers. It does not always make the path easy. It does not take away the hurt. Trust in God removes our paralysis of fear and it allows God to come into our lives and change the picture. It mightn't be the picture we want, but it changes the picture. Fear always threatens to defeat the gifts that we have, but Psalm 27 reminds us that there is only one path to pick. And in the words of a hymn that recalls this psalm through all the changing scenes of life, there's a verse in it which says, deliverance he affords to all who on his succor trust. Again, thinking of my childhood and the very early years, I can hear my mum say something else from this psalm. One thing I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It's verse four. It's one of the Bible's most eloquent and emotionally powerful visionary verses. And typically as a child and as a teenager, I didn't get it, didn't understand. Why would my mother, exercising a full ministry, so choose to etch these words into the core of her being? 
and try to pass them on to her children. Only later, much, much later, did I even come close to understanding, in the words of another hymn. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Bow down before him, his glory proclaim. With gold of obedience and incense of holiness, kneel and adore him. The Lord is his name. We ask many things of God, of ourselves, of each other, and of life itself. But really, there is just one thing that finally matters. And to garner everything else and lose sight of that one thing would be tragic. But we're not alone in not understanding this. In the New Testament, to the rich young man who was not only successful but also diligently religious, Jesus said, one thing you lack, go home, sell all your possessions. But it was too much. When Martha busied herself preparing a feast for Jesus and bemoaned the fact that Mary didn't help, Jesus said, Martha, one thing is needful. And he didn't mean one more exquisite dish. Jesus spoke of a merchant who sold everything to purchase the one fantastic pearl. The world in which we live seems to say, have as many things as possible. But what if we could focus and be satisfied with just one thing? There is only one thing that's enough. And the psalmist speaks of it as dwelling in the house of the Lord all my days. That is to be near God, to worship constantly, all day, every day, and find it a joy to let the spirit of worship envelop the everyday and transform the ordinary into the extraordinary. I wonder then whether that's why most people choose in life a one-dish menu card in their hands, especially when they come to church. I'm sure most priests will tell you when they come in, nearly everyone, whatever the occasion, chooses Psalm 23. A baptism. Oh, what a lovely baby. Oh, Psalm 23, please. Wedding. Oh, you're getting married. What psalm would you like? Oh, I'd love Psalm 23. A funeral? Well, it has to be Psalm 23, of course. The football pitch. Way, away, away, away. Number 23. For organists, musicians, crimmed to the brother James there, it's Psalm 23. Is it the strains of the words echoed in this psalm Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that the one thing we seek? To behold the beauty of the Lord, not merely to see God, which would be incredible, but to behold beauty. In common parlance, we say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And we find beauty in different things. A newborn baby, a sunrise, a sunset, work well done. 
Martha's beautiful artwork displayed around the church. Beauty, true beauty, transforms us. It changes us. And when we meet someone in whom we see that beauty, we leave all else. We look to no other. We fall in love. According to the psalmist here, the way to beauty is not clothes or jewelry, haircut, makeup, Botox, silicon, you name it. It's not cars. It's only as we surround ourselves in the beauty of God, the wonders of creation, the scriptures, that we find true beauty, which is the way to God. We encounter beauty in many ways, in a human face, in nature, but also in acts of kindness and compassion. This is where we see the beauty of God. But the next few verses in this psalm are a cry from the heart. And this morning, they were a cry from the heart. David is literally imploring God not to be far from him. He pleads, hear me. Answer me, be gracious to me. Don't hide your face, don't turn away, don't cast me off. Teach me your ways. Lead me on a level path. Don't give up on me. Walter Brueggemann says, notice the psalmist says, lead me on a level path. He doesn't say lead me on an easy path. Lead me on, lead me on a level path so that I might find my footing and it might be sure. How many times have we said these words, and to whom? But just like us, many times the psalmist is groaning, and he's groping his way through life. But deep within that groaning is trust, and that trust allows him confidence. Your face, O Lord, will I seek, he says. And when he finds it, he says, my face is lifted up. And in finding it, the psalmist encourages us to shout out loud our trust. I'm sure I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But where is the land of the living? For me, it's here and now and in the hereafter. It is the world in which we live now, the world we're destined for. The land of the living is my body. It's my community, it's my engagement in politics, in economics, in society, in humanity. The land of the living is for all people, all times and all places. And this confidence remains in the last verse of this psalm. But to all those hungering for God, longing for him, the psalm offers encouragement. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Later today, there's a baptism service, and it will end with a new beginning. The Christ light given to each fledgling Christian to light their way in the future and guide their footsteps. Psalm 27 might be just the right dish to serve at lunch. Amen.